Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, a resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Aloha, namaste everyone. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty and forgot to press record until after the uh, explanation of Sutra 3.43. So I'm going to recap it here real quick and then we'll jump back into the class as usual. So Sutra 3.43 was about the breath being the first manifestation of Shiva, as you see in the quote here. That this is the first place that Shiva sort of manifest takes place in this pulsation of our breath so when you're watching your breath it's much more than a physical action it's actually a link to the subtle realm uh, we also looked at how the work of pranayama is not necessarily about stretching or pushing or pulling the breath but that the highest practice of pranayama is simply flowing with the breath that a natural breath flow is the most profound aspect of the breath that we could hope to interact with um, and then real quick, Sutra 3.44 that's coming up after this discussion, I'm very excited about. It basically is about how a yogi can bring their practice into every aspect of their life, no matter what their karmic arena looks like. So now we're going to jump back into the conversation with students commenting on their experience over the week with Sutra 3.43. Hope you enjoy the rest of class. Namaste. Would anyone like to start off the conversation? I'll share something. Okay. Um, I, in my journaling, I was writing about how the breath um, really shows me whether I'm present or not, because literally, like, if I can feel the breath, I'm instantly in the present moment, you know, and I'm sure you're all <laughs> familiar with that feeling of, like, you know, being in the thoughts being in the energy rising up and out and i i can't feel my breath in those moments so it's um when satyam was talking about like that primordial connection to shiva i was like oh it's like the present moment that is for me at least like this tangible way to experience shiva and if i can feel my breath like i'm there you know and instead of that energy of rising up and out with like thoughts and speaking and externalization it really did feel like the breath was the opposite experience of like instead of up and out sort of like having awareness in the present moment when my breath was just taking my consciousness like deeper and deeper into my heart instead of up and out it was like down and in but like in in so that was cool <laughs> yeah it's interesting how the breath can it, from a superficial perspective it can look like it's this up and out perspective but when you're really identifying with it you you can feel it's it's very much happening in here mm -hmm. like that's where all the breath's happening in here it's this isn't really even a big part of it it's like all the experience is happening inside. Mm -hmm. So when we feel it, we, you know, it's easy to think of the breath as like outside. We just think of it as air, you know, that we're bringing in, but like 
the experience of our breath is happening inside. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Prophecy, sure. Um, so after the last two classes with Babaji and with you guys talking about all of this, um, I experienced the breath as um, massaging my, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say chakras because I'm not like experiencing the chakras. It's more like massaging the feeling of love or massaging my inner self. And um, sometimes it will help expand or clear out something or like tickle me so I can feel where my heart is. That's how I experience it or have been experiencing it. Thanks, Travis, for sort of sitting with that. Yeah, in, in Babaji's quote, you know, that's abridged a from earlier, he, you know, he did say, let's, let's try to look at the breath as, well, eventually he said, like, it, like a massage. And I think what that's getting to is the, 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 the transformational power of the breath. It's like, what can, you know, water can cut through rock right? But it doesn't happen all at once, but it happens. Absolutely. You know, and it feels like the massage is when you, of the breath is when you can, you're actually feeling the, the energetic experience of breathing rather than just the superficial, what water looks like as it brushes up against the rock. But what if you could feel the, the micro level chipping away at that rock? in that one splash well that takes time you have to really watch and feel and and like we can do that because we are the breath and if we're really paying attention to the part of us that it chips away it's like you will feel that force happening you know and um and it seems like one of our biggest lessons is you know we all want the force to be some strong pranayama we want to we want to see a waterfall you know, we want to see a fire hose, but um, that's very unrealistic in, in, in terms of like most of the work of the breath is occurring in a very natural, in a very natural way and very sort of quietly. So, but yet it's like incredibly powerful. So yeah, I, that massage, I think that's the, the perfect, and I think that's why Babaji used it. Like that's the kind of power we're talking about what kind of power does a massage have interesting you know is a massage powerful yes incredibly oh yeah gita welcome to the show Thank you. For, for me, the, the, the key phrase is in uh, Babaji's words, do uh, not, not control the breath. Uh, that doership, you were talking about a fire hose, you want, it's, uh, for me anyway, it's easy to uh, build tension 
through trying to control the breath rather than relaxing and just feeling at that really, really subtle level because it takes, um, at least for me, um, those th uh, feelings are more like what Prophet said, they're like little tickles. Um, and for a long time, I thought it would be like something big and flashy and, you know, but what I've experienced is much more subtle and the need to let go of control is ever present for me. Thanks, Gita. Yeah, it's interesting how the need to, to let go of controlling the breath, which we would associate with with quote unquote power is the very thing that somehow veils the actual power. Yeah. And how much uh, breath meditation is based on getting out of the way. Well, so much meditation is, but like how we grip the breath when we start doing a breath meditation, how almost the whole meditation, the work is to ungrip the breath that's like our whole you know and then there's such a neurological grip on it yeah it really does seem like a really perfect um explanation of surrender you know and that's perhaps why the sutras tell us that this is like this is shiva like like this is it like your breath is it's not just another system of your body like your pulmonary system there's something much bigger happening so we can pause there. Thanks for that discussion. Let's take a few moments for some tension release practice before we jump into our next uh, hat, next sutra together. I'll do a little bit of guidance and go right into it on your own if you know how to do it. But the fingertips are outstretched. And then here we are with the breath, right? Our primary vehicle, our vessel. And so breathe it in nice and slow like it's a like it's a crystal clear, you know, stream flowing off of a glacier, just so pure down to the heart and really take your time getting there. And then as you hold the breath in the heart, you don't want to feel any tension. You almost want to just feel like a pool of water, like there's no tension there. It's just an accumulation. It's just a, a moment of absorption. And as you exhale, that breath that pool sort of flows out of the heart down the arms and out the hands sort of carrying with it of course the ash or the debris of our psychic system and so take your time and and work with the breath here in a really natural way but try to tap into the the freshness that the inhale brings in and the the gentle expansion that the moment of pause provides us with. And then of course the release from the inside out of the exhale. Try to feel the breath working for you, working with you. 
After your next exhale, you can flick out the fingertips and wipe off the arms. And I will sort of magnify the screen. So in case anybody's on a mobile device, you can see it better. All right. It is uh, one of our longer sutras. They seem to get longer and longer as you progress into the back of the book. Second to last sutra, everyone. Second to last. Um, here we go. Nasi kantar madhya samyamat kimacha savya ha savya sausum neshu. Here we go. Try it together. It's just really one syllable at a time, you know. Nasi kantar madhya samyamat kimacha savya pasavya sausum nesu. In all the channels, left, itta, right, pingala, and middle, shashimna, there is prana shakti. By the constant practice of bringing one's awareness to this inner state of prana shakti, there abides the awareness of that central reality under all circumstances and in all conditions. Right. So our awareness of center is somewhat intuitive because our center is essentially unseen. Yet, when you just rock left and right with me, you're rocking left and right of what? Right? Or correct? Center. <laughs> but where's your center? Point to it. Show me it. You can't, but you know it. You're, you're rocking right around it. You're referencing it constantly. And so from this perspective, we are in a lot of different situations throughout our day that are left or right, whatever that might mean. But we're never far from center. We're actually never apart from our center. No matter how far left you rock, you're referencing your center. And so from this perspective, our center is always with us. And in this sutra, we also see this energetic center, the shashumna, the central channel of that would be residing alongside your physical spine. Um, and it's a central force that energizes the 72,000 plus nadis in our psychic nervous system. And even though it may seem that some of these nadis really get far from center, they're all fueled by our center. And therefore, they're all still our center, even though they might be left or right, quote unquote. I, I'm calling this a, a I, I think this might be somewhat of a new word, but I'm calling this a metaphysiological analogy that the sutra presents us with. Metaphysical, but not physical, metaphysiological analogy. Um, and they're presenting us with this as a way to help us understand why as yogis, we can and should seek our center 
as the sutra says, under all circumstances and in all conditions. Because if everything comes from center, then wherever you're at, it's available. So let's jump into the sutra. Let's continue to explore this through the lens of the sutra. There's also a quote from Babaji. Let's see where it takes us. Dialin, good to see you. You want to unmute and read this one for us? Sure. Uh, Shiva Sutra 3.44 teaches. <clears throat> if, can you hear me okay? Doing great, yep. Yeah. If the yogi's consciousness is attached to the life force, force of kundalini, then it does not matter to them how they journey in this world. They may travel in any of the three veins, yet they always remain the same. They may travel in ordinary breathing in the right vein, dakshin, is a little blurry, but Dakshina Nadi, or in the left vein, Vama Nadi, or they may travel in Pranana Shakti, the central vein, Madhya Nadi. These three veins, Ida, Ida Pingala, and Sushumna, are predominant in all 72,000 veins. In the Svachandra Tantra, these 72,000 veins are compared to the veins in the leaf of the Chinar tree, just like the veins in that leaf, so also in the body of prana, there is only one central vein from which are projected thousands of smaller secondary channels. As the thread-like veins in the leaf of, palasha tree, of a palasha tree completely pervade that leaf, so do those innumerable subtle channels completely pervade Vyaptam, this body. All right, thanks, Dalen. That was a challenging one. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, wow, I really threw down on this slide. Yeah, thank you for hanging in there on that. But yeah, this really, I wanted to include all this. In fact, the last half is actually a footnote that I found really helpful with the tree analogy. Um, but yeah, you know, it's really spelling out our work in the sutra um, that basically we've got these, these three, you know, the central path, we get the central vein, and then we have all these uh, subsidiary veins, just like a leaf has the central vein in the middle, and then it goes off into what almost appears to be almost like infinite, you know, cells. And um, in that, in our lifetime, we are going to travel out on these veins, like we're going to be moving through our life. And if you were to track your movement, you know, it almost looked like it's going out towards the end of this leaf um, and that that's okay. And that's always going to be okay as a non-dual yogi because center does not mean physical center. It does mean that there is a physical center and it does mean that it is a part of our life. But as non-dual yogis, we know that there's also a life happening. There's also manifestation happening and that both are true. And that our physical center is always with us. Um, so as the text says, it doesn't matter how we journey in this world. We can travel anywhere and still be connected back to that central channel. Uh, I've got a quote from Babaji next. Uh, but any questions or comments before we sort of continue to unpack this concept? 
Okay. Let's hear from Babaji. And I apologize, the um, slide for some reason doesn't say that at the top, but this is a quote from Spiritual Practice. Um, Usha, looking forward to your talk coming up in a couple of weeks. Do you want to read this one for us? Oh, it's another long one. Hang in there. You, yeah, you're not quite unmuted yet. I'll go for it. It's kind of blurry, but I think I can. That's weird. It's really it. clear here. Is it blurry for you? Oh. Just a little. Okay. Anyway, if, if it doesn't hold work, on just, just let a me know. second. Uh -oh. I'll get glasses. <coughs> oh, okay. That's, yeah, it's not my on my end for once. Yeah. I know, but <laughs> I will be the first to confess that I did many stupid things in my life as a young man. I traveled down many roads that were dangerous and dead ends, but eventually I found my balance. I found my center and I found my heart and I found my spiritual direction. At first, I often fell off the bike, but eventually I got pretty good at it. When I graduated to a unit, then I graduated to a unicycle and then to nothing. So don't beat yourself up. Just start working, start practicing. Do whatever you do in the world. That's up to you, your careers and jobs in the world or your karmic arena. They provide an opportunity for all the things that you carry around in you to manifest. Then you can make a choice as to how to deal with them. Do you succumb, get stoned, get drunk, do everything to distract yourself? Or do you focus yourself become present and let go of all these patterns that have a hold on you. That's how you begin to evolve spiritually. Nothing external is a solu solution for our discomfort. Thanks, Usha. You know, this is just one of the many reasons it's so priceless, uh, why it's one of the jewels to have a teacher. A living teacher um it's just the fact that you can see it that it works in in a real life scenario that that's not you know um a story you know from long ago but like a story from today you know that babaji says i made mistakes i lived in this world but eventually i found this direction this practice and that brought me to my center and that we all have a path we all have a karmic arena that is assumed uh it's how we work within that karmic arena that defines our our experience whether or not that's it's an uh a centering experience whether or not your work is bringing you closer to center or whether that work is literally distracting you from center and that's always going to be in our court um you know, up to our practice. So what can we say about a yogi like this? Uh, that is how the next sutra uh, begins. Uh, or the next portion of the sutra begins. 
Um, Radharani, would you read this one for us? Just to wrap us up. Sure. What can we say about this yogi? This person is established in and glorified by that supreme samadhi where for them, there's no external state of dualistic consciousness. Consciousness, Vyutana. This is also said in Vijnana Vairava. Subjective knowledge and objective knowledge is the same for all living beings, except there is one difference for yogis. In both kinds of knowing, yogis always remain aware of the metaphysical subject without which there can be no such thing as an object. Vigyana Bhairava 106. This is the difference between yogis and ordinary people. Thanks, Radharani. What can we say about this yogi? You know, it's like, it's almost this like moment in the sutra where it's like, what can we say? It's just, they just have this quality, um, which later in the sutra will be uh, also described as like a gracefulness, a smoothness, a way that they operate because they're not basically bound by dualistic perspectives. They've really found their center within their reality. And that this is the very thing this is the very thing that separates uh, a yogi from a quote unquote ordinary person, or as you might see in the movies, a muggle, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's always this thing, you know, but it, it's this understanding of this unseen center that pervades everything that you're doing while you're doing. That's the thing. That's the, that's the defining characteristic perhaps that we're all we all have subjective and objective knowledge meaning we all have knowledge of of who we are and who we think that what we think the world are and we all have an idea of what you know how this all works but the yogis encounter all those ideas plus one they have this as it says in the text uh, from a footnote, the metaphysical subject without which there can be no such thing as object, meaning this intuitive center around which all of this knowledge revolves that will never be spelled out, can never be pointed to. Where's your center? You know it, but you can't quite say it or point to it, and that's okay. So any last questions or comments before we meditate on the sutra? Well, feel free to uh, adjust your seat. Uh, make sure your seat sort of feels sustainable for 20 minutes or so. And starting with how we started this sutra by uh, rocking in the Vigyana Bhairava, it talks about imagine you're in like a carriage on like a bumpy road 
you don't have to actually bump yourself, but just let yourself sort of rock forward back, but not like, or not like obviously, like let it be a little organic. Sometimes I, the way I phrase it is like you're sitting in a pool of water and it's the current just sort of moving you around. And then slow your movement down a little because it's not actually about moving left, right, forward, or back. It's actually about feeling your center as you move. And it's interesting, right, that moving, though you could at first say is taking you away from center, is in another direction helping you feel your center. As you move right now, it's almost like clearer than ever before where the, the feeling of center, the very act of balanced movement requires it. And so while you're moving, try to find, try to imagine that center point, imagine it being in the heart. And though your physical heart is moving, there's no doubt. But imagine the center point of the heart on a more energetic level. And hold that awareness in the heart, even as you finish these movements. And you let these movements be a little bit slower and a little bit smaller. And imagine that that space in the heart gets brighter and brighter as your movements get smaller and slower. That the space of center expands as you become centered. Just let your breath flow take you down towards the center of the heart. And now that we're still, The center has a different quality. It's still there, but it's much quieter. You can't really obsess over it. You have to have a light grip, a light touch, and know that the center is not meant to be seen or spoken or pointed to. It's always going to be a subtle experience in the background of your awareness. And so let it be that. 
and let yourself be in that background of awareness with it instead of trying to pull it forward. Let the energy of your breath simultaneously relax the body and yet also keep it balanced, upright, and alert. You can feel that pathway of the breath coming in through the center of the forehead, down the throat to the heart. You can feel your heart as your center. And imagine again, balancing, maybe on like a tight rope or on a, on a ball. Imagine the relaxed body it would require. You can't be stiff and balanced on a tightrope. This fluid, fluidity is an expression of your center, according to the sutra. The energy of your center is the very thing that removes stiffness from the body. 
we are told. So if your body feels stiff, breathe into your center. You don't have to push your awareness towards center. You just have to breathe with awareness of center. And you rock side to side. You don't have to tell yourself where center is. You just have to be centered as you rock. Same with the breath. Let the breath move and you hold center. Hold it easily. Again, a part of centering, of maintaining center, is the ability to do so 
in a relaxed way. Just like maintaining your center when rocking left or right is relatively simple. So is maintaining your center while you breathe in and out. Don't overthink it. Let it be simple.
Yes, life is harder to maintain center sometimes, but many times life is quiet and we can't relax with it. Center is simple. It's in the background. It's inside. as you slowly open your eyes for the last minute, sense awareness pulls you out. Can you feel the background of your awareness? The foundation of all senses and beyond. that allows all of this to happen without tipping the scales or throwing us off balance. And so I hope you have a great week um, working with center. And uh, in, in many different circumstances, as the sutra uh, asks us to do in any and all conditions. And uh, let's come back next week and have a discussion. Um, and that would be leading up to our last sutra, um, which is pretty cool, all sort of coming to fruition here. And that'll be just the weekend before the intensive. So if you haven't signed up, you definitely want to do that. Cre start creating the container for your growth. Uh, for the intensive next weekend. Um, and as always, thank you all for making this class possible. Namaste. And one last announcement. Less than two weeks till the beginning of our meditation level two. More than two weeks. Less than three weeks, maybe. Till our meditation level two teacher training. Shower yourself with surrender. And, uh, and be new all through. So we'd love to do that with you. Okay. I'll let you all go. 